Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to At Least We're Trying, the self-help and advice podcast helping you on your personal journey of understanding yourself and navigating through the various aspects of life, all while telling some fun stories and cracking some jokes that at least I find funny. I am your host, Mackenzie Smith. This episode is brought to you by a trigger warning. If you are sensitive to topics regarding anxiety and mental illness or brief mentions of emotional and physical traumas in relation to PTSD, then do what you feel is best for your personal health. I will make a brief brief announcement before delving into the PTSD section so you can skip through that part or just not listen to this episode if that's what you need. There's no shame in taking care of yourself. Remember that. Everybody gets nervous and now and then feels anxiety. But if we didn't, we wouldn't have made a bunch of decisions that have kept us alive and healthy. Since the dawn of time, nervousness has allowed people to analyze their situations and environments and make smarter decisions to avoid injury. Even though the majority of us don't forage for food or sleep in caves nowadays, we still sometimes feel anxiety. If we're about to take a test in school, if an authority figure tells you they want to have a talk, or if a storm is on its way and might damage your home, we're going to feel some anxiety, and those feelings are completely valid. But some people deal with anxiety a lot more than others, even if we aren't in a, da- in a dangerous situation or stressful environment, even if we're just lying in bed watching a sitcom over a holiday break. Over 3 million people in the United States have been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, according to Mayo Clinic. And given the taboo surrounding mental health and mental illness within a bunch of communities and cultures in the U.S., it wouldn't surprise me if there is actually triple that amount of people with an anxiety disorder that just haven't been diagnosed yet. I'm sure a few of you listening right now have dealt with anxiety to an extent. So know that I'm sending my love and I support you. It's difficult living with anxiety, even if it's not a daily occurrence. I'm really excited for this episode because mental illness is one of my favorite subjects to study in all of the psychology and social science classes I've taken. And today, I'm going to be teaching you all of the important information regarding anxiety, or at least most of it, which you can use to better understand and support yourself and others who have or may have anxiety. I do want to note that You should not use this as a diagnosis for mental illness or a disorder of any kind. If you think you or someone else might have a mental illness or disorder, please seek out a doctor and licensed psychologist for help and consultation instead of self-diagnosing. My goal for this episode is for you to have a better understanding of the behaviors attributed to the various types of anxiety, because there's five major types of anxiety disorders, and hopefully you can be more understanding when you experience or witness them. I, for the longest time, was very confused and easily upset when some people would suddenly act out of character, but now that I've been studying mental illness and human behavior for about three years, I can easily identify when someone might be dealing with increased anxiety and I'm able to act accordingly and support them. I'll also be going over briefly how mental illness is portrayed on screen and some shows that accurately present it and give some tips on how to better handle anxiety. If you have an interest in learning more about these anxiety disorders, then you can look up the National Institute of Mental Health website and verywellmind.com, which are the resources I've used to gather much of the information I'm about to share with you.
there are five major anxiety disorders. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and National Institute of Mental Health list them as generalized anxiety disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, panic disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and social anxiety disorder. The first one, generalized anxiety disorder, is characterized as a person experiencing excessive fear or worry for most days during a six-month time period, which interferes with at least some of the areas of their life. The sources of this worry could be anything from their health, relationships, jobs, or everyday social interactions. Some symptoms include feeling restless and physically tense, getting tired easily, having trouble concentrating, zoning out, feeling a loss of control over thoughts and emotions, and having difficulty sleeping. For a lot of people, anxiety is incredibly draining, even if the person isn't doing anything. They are stuck in their heads, which are swarmed with thoughts from the past or the potential future, and they are most likely feeling all of the emotions that those events in their minds would cause. They could experience a racing heartbeat, sweating, or a type of antsiness that makes them want to crawl out of their skin, all of which deplete a person's physical energy. Number two is obsessive-compulsive disorder, which is more commonly known as OCD. It's when a person has obsessions such as reoccurring thoughts, urges, or mental images that cause them to worry, and also have compulsions, which are urges to do something in response to those obsessions. A person with OCD may have an intrusive thought of their pet getting out of their apartment, so they may lock their front door 30 times before leaving for work as a way to give themselves a sense of control and peace. Someone with OCD won't be able to control these obsessions and compulsions, even if they know they're excessive, nor will they receive any sort of pleasure from performing them except for momentary relief. Everyone has habits and rituals, but OCD takes those habits and rituals to the extent of where they interfere with daily life. Maybe someone you know gets overly aggressive or emotional if something unexpected happens, like a spontaneous dinner at a restaurant or a surprise birthday party, which interferes with the environment and schedule they've curated. Now, they have to clean items in a specific order a certain number of times, or count to the number 77, or they have to wash their hands 10 times before and after a meal at a restaurant to give themselves the feeling of control and safety. Next is panic disorder. Panic disorder is characterized as the recurrence of unexpected panic attacks. Panic attacks are the feeling of intense fear either out of the blue or in response to a trigger such as a place, a person, activity, or object. And the peak of these attacks comes very quickly, usually within minutes. During a panic attack, a person would feel their heartbeat accelerate, start to sweat and maybe tremble feel a shortness of breath like they're suffocating, and feel a sense of impending doom and loss of control. It's a really scary experience. So, someone having a panic attack will probably start crying and need a form of external assurance and comfort. But I want to warn you, if you see someone having a panic attack, do not get close to or hug them unless they explicitly ask you to. I cannot emphasize that enough. I know from first and second hand experience that it usually helps when people keep a good distance and ask simple questions to focus on and talk gently in a calm and non-judgmental voice. Being non-judgmental is key. Because sometimes 
People know they don't need to be feeling that way, but they can't control it. And sometimes they don't understand that there isn't a threat of any kind to be worried about. And the whole situation just becomes a lot harder to calm down from because now they're worried about what other people may say or do. So just be calm and understanding and know that a person isn't having a panic attack for attention or to be hurt or to bother anyone in any way. It's an uncontrollable response to their overwhelming emotions and they are the last ones who want to deal with it. Okay, how about we take a quick breather? Mental health can be heavy stuff, so let's take some time before we move on to the next point to think about things that can help us calm down, like bubbling creeks, tiny birds whistling on a tree branch in summer, waves splashing on our toes at the beach, whoosh, 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 walking through the park and hearing someone play gently on the guitar, or sitting around a bonfire in autumn as you roast marshmallows. Crackle, crackle, pop, pop, Rice Krispies. (laughs) Okay, how was that? Did you enjoy our little adventure of soothing calmness? Well, I am glad. Now, we will go into the next major anxiety disorder, but I do want to let you know that it is PTSD. If you are sensitive to mentions of post-traumatic stress, traumas, and abuse, feel free to skip on ahead to the 13-minute mark. The fourth major anxiety disorder is PTSD, which is short for post-traumatic stress disorder and develops after a person experiences a traumatic event either firsthand or secondhand. Of course, if anyone experiences or witnesses a traumatic event, like a car accident, for example, they're bound to have a fight, flight, or freeze response when around reminders and triggers, but if these responses last for longer than a month and interfere with work and relationships, then it's likely the person has developed PTSD. But PTSD is actually pretty uncommon. According to the National Center for PTSD, only 7-8% of people develop it in their lifetime. Women are more likely to develop it, and those whose families have histories of PTSD. The stress responses have literally been shown to alter DNA, and these genetic changes are passed down through the generations. PTSD is just very complex for the reasons I just listed, and because it also doesn't show up immediately all the time. It usually develops within three months of a traumatic event occurring, but sometimes people won't experience symptoms until years later. Some teens and adults who were abused as children may not have realized they were being abused, and it isn't until they are much older when they remember or reevaluate their younger years that they realize and begin to develop symptoms of PTSD. In order to be officially diagnosed, a person has to experience over the course of one month a re-experiencing symptom, such as flashbacks, bad dreams, or frightening thoughts relating to the events, an avoidance symptom, like staying away from people and places that are reminders or pushing away thoughts and feelings about the event, and at least two arousal and reactivity responses and at least two cognitive and mood symptoms. The arousal and reactivity responses are feeling startled, tense or on edge, having angry or emotional outbursts, and difficulty sleeping. And the cognitive and mood symptoms are memory loss surrounding the event, negative perception of oneself or the world, feelings of guilt or blame, and loss of interest in previously enjoyable activities. 
These reactivity and cognitive responses don't always arise when a person experiences a trigger, but will be relatively constant for the most part and affect a person even when they're in a safe environment or they're not having flashbacks. PTSD is also, for some people but not all, accompanied by thoughts of revenge, depression or other anxiety disorders, disrespectful and destructive behaviors, and sometimes substance abuse. In children six years old or younger, their symptoms are usually peeing themselves even if they are potty trained, reenacting the scary events during playtime, becoming uncharacteristically clingy with a guardian or parent, and refusing to or forgetting how to talk. If you struggle with PTSD, whether I know you or not, please know that I will support you in any way I'm able to. And I am sending you so much love, literally baskets full of love. And there will always be moments that feel better than most. And over time, especially with proper care and help, those better moments will outweigh all the bad ones. The fifth and final major anxiety disorder is social anxiety disorder, which is characterized as feeling an overwhelm of fear surrounding social and or performative situations and other people's perceptions of oneself. Someone with social anxiety will fear their actions or they themselves being received negatively and being judged by others around them. They'll feel embarrassment and shyness, but this only becomes a disorder if it becomes to disrupt a a person's life significantly. If they feel unable or terrified to go to work, school, or out in public in general, or if they become noticeably more antisocial, even with the people they know. Agoraphobia is a well-known phobia that derives from social anxiety, which causes people to sometimes have panic attacks over even the thought of leaving their homes, their safe zone, to be around other people. I've seen plenty of films and television shows where a character develops an intense fear of anything bad happening to them or their loved ones if they leave their house, but unfortunately, they usually become the character whose only trait that is given is their agoraphobia. They aren't usually given any character arcs. One exception would be the American television show Shameless. In a few of the seasons, there's a character named Sheila who is extremely agoraphobic when she's introduced, but over the course of multiple seasons, she is able to take the necessary steps to feel less anxious outside. Steps like seeing a therapist over video call and using a virtual reality headset to get acquainted with places like the supermarket before actually leaving the house. And she becomes able to leave or to lead a life with less fear than she feels fulfilled by. I watch a lot of shows and films that have characters that deal with general anxiety, but more often have PTSD or PTSD symptoms. And A lot of the time, I honestly don't like the portrayals too much because they're exaggerated in a way that gives people without mental illnesses, aka neurotypicals, the idea that mental illnesses often make a person a danger to others around them. I've seen plenty of shows that don't even deserve to be mentioned right now. Most of them are from 10 or more years ago anyway, where the characters suffering from mental illnesses are described by other characters as only posing a threat to others, or are shown frequently having violent breakdowns, or are only shown to experience one type of symptom. For example, most characters with anxiety I've seen are just always extremely terrified and rambling and crying. And although yes, that does happen, yes, some people with mental illnesses can become violent too, 
it just is not as often as the media has portrayed it. People with anxiety and other mental illnesses will experience different symptoms and are mainly only dangerous to themselves, if dangerous at all. I've had a couple anxiety attacks where I've acted very angry and yelled at people. I've also had anxiety attacks where I'm just sad and crying in bed, but nowadays I just get quiet. I tend to focus more on my work, and I don't verbally respond often to people talking to me. There are different symptoms that are unique to everyone, so it's incredibly inaccurate and disappointing when mental illness is portrayed in the media as just one thing, or just one type of way. Some TV shows that are absolutely amazing and give phenomenal depictions of mental illness are This Is Us, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, You're the Worst, Maniac, and Attack on Titan. Although, Attack on Titan is a more extreme example given the nature of the show. This Is Us shows the different ways anxiety affects people, especially men. I was shocked by how This Is Us was normalizing strong men dealing with general anxiety and breakdowns in such an accurate way. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend focuses on borderline personality disorder. You're the Worst depicts clinical depression. Maniac delves into paranoid schizophrenia and PTSD. An attack on Titan shows PTSD symptoms, especially in the most recent episodes. And it just completely blows me away. All of these shows are so amazing, and each of them have amazing plots that don't always focus on mental illness, so you can enjoy every single moment of them. So I highly encourage you all to watch those. And I'm going to get more into the different mental illnesses in later episodes as I gather more info and get further into my studies. It's likely that I'll work on getting a master's degree in clinical psychology, so congrats to you. I'll spend tens of thousands of dollars learning a subject so you don't have to, and then I'll teach it to you for free. But I do take payment and compliments, and my Venmo is... Handling unsupportive people. That is the emotional equivalent of an Olympic sport, and you cannot change my mind. There's people who don't believe mental illnesses are real. And will tell others that it's all in your head. You can control those feelings. Depression's not real because I can't see it. And those people can pay zero dollars and zero cents to shut up. My advice, having heard countless people tell me these things, is for you to know that you will understand yourself best. And someone who isn't trained in recognizing anxiety or mental illness and helping those with it is in no place to tell you if what you're experiencing is real or not. If it is affecting you in your life, it's real. It's going to be hard learning to ignore those people when they say those things. So take some time to tell yourself, I know who I am. I know what I'm going through. Their opinions do not change that or matter. Because even if you are confused about what you're dealing with exactly, you still have insight and knowledge about yourself in your life that they don't and will never have. Telling yourself those words, even if you're alone and nobody has said anything to you, just saying it really does help some people when they're feeling overwhelmed and it helps them handle their anxiety. If you want some more ideas on how to handle your anxiety, there's following a consistent schedule, eating foods that fuel your body and make you feel healthier and better than other foods do, drinking enough water, keeping your space organized to your liking, and talking to or being of service to others. Exercising also helps a lot. 
I went on a run earlier and just imagined that I was chasing down a physical manifestation of my anxiety and intrusive thoughts so I could beat them up. And then afterwards, I did some shadow boxing, no pun intended, and it was very satisfying. Boom, right hook, bam, uppercut, kapow. Intrusive thoughts defeated for the third day in a row. Mackenzie has won the gold medal once again. How will she celebrate? Um, I'm gonna go to a therapy session. Oh my gosh, she's gonna go to a therapy session. Is there anything she can't do? So yeah, that that's something you could try if you're interested in doing that. You could also go swimming and enjoy the silence while your head's underwater for a couple seconds. Or go on a walk or do yoga and feel your muscles relax a little bit with every deep breath you take. Honestly, just try a little bit of a few different things and continue to do what feels best for you. And if you struggle with intrusive thoughts, remind yourself of how things can work out for the better right after you have a negative or intrusive thought. Okay, yeah. How you're thinking a situation might play out might not be great. But is it guaranteed to happen? No. There are so many good outcomes that can come from every situation. If you're stuck in traffic about to be late for an exam, well, maybe you hear somebody else in another car on a phone call discussing, to discussing topics that your test would cover. Hearing that would help you memorize those topics even better. Maybe traffic will clear up out of the blue and you'll end up being early for the exam. And maybe if you take some deep breaths while you drive, you'll be calm enough to think of a faster route. And after a while of doing that, you'll learn how to cut off your intrusive thoughts before they even have time to complete themselves. Sometimes you have to be rude to your rude intrusive thoughts and show them who's boss. Hey Mackenzie, Remember that time in high school when? Nope. Not going to be thinking about that. I will protect my mental and emotional health by reminding myself how I am no longer in that situation. I have grown as a person and I can move forward in life without forcing myself to try to forget about whatever happened. And if that thought tries to pop back into my mind, I could just tastefully curse it out by calling out all the Australian words that aren't allowed in the U.S. for some reason. You can even talk things out with somebody you know and trust. That could be a friend who's emotionally able to hold space for you at that time. I recommend asking them if they are before you start unlearning, unloading your thoughts and feelings first. A family member, a therapist, your childhood stuffed animal, or yourself. There's no shame in talking out loud to yourself. I do it all the time, and only half my neighbors think I'm crazy. I'm fine with that, though, because... I know who I am. I know what I'm going through. Their opinions do not change that or matter. If seeking professional help interests you, I recommend contacting your doctor and finding a therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist that can help you out. If you don't have a doctor or know where to start, you can always look on psychologytoday.com for psychologists in your area or online and use the filters to find the ones that best match your needs and wants. There's also the website Seven Cups for some one-on-one -on -one counseling and the online support group smartrecovery.com. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. It has been my absolute favorite to have worked on so far. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. And I hope that you have more knowledge that lets you understand yourselves and others better so you can take the necessary steps to take care of yourself and be a source of support and understanding for others. 
I wish you all the best, and I will see you in two weeks with the next episode. But until then, if you'd like, you can follow me on Instagram at mfromtheverbs. Once again, please do not self-diagnose. Instead, talk to a licensed psychologist who can better help you understand yourself and what illnesses and disorders you may face. And remember, there are always people willing to help you in the ways that you need. And there are always people who will love and support you during the good times and the tough moments in your life. So remember that. Mm -hmm.